0: Once again, it's that time to get real with your guy, Ronald E. Smith. And my guest today, he needs no introduction, but what kind of person would I be if I didn't tell you what he's done so far? He's a writer, actor, voice actor, one of the founding Fathers of Team Four Star, but before all that, he's just a regular old dude doing what he loves. Who I could be talking about, I could only be talking with Lanny Bator, also known as Nick Landis. How you doing, man?
1: I'm doing great. How about yourself?
0: This day's been going good so far, you know, so I can't complain, but I'm just happy that we're here. We're going to just have a good, good talk. Hell yeah. So, like I say, on Getting Real, the whole point of this show is we get hardworking people. We tell their stories about where they've been, where they are right now, and where they hope to be in the future. And that's what we want with
1: you right now, man. Ambitious. I love it. Uh, Always love looking on the introspective side of everything. Uh, Where where would you like to start? Would you like to start at the beginning, the future, or the middle?
0: I mean, let's just go where it all began because I'm already confused (laughs) on where you're from, because one one place tells me you're from Cali, but then another says you're from Plainmouth, Minnesota. So where were you? Where were you originated from?
1: So uh, I, I was born in uh, Torrance, California, which is actually where the Tor part of my name comes from. The first three letters of the city I was born. Uh, lived there till I was about, I don't know, like three and a half or so, uh, Basically, basically made it part way through preschool and then my dad got a radio broadcasting job out in uh min- uh Minneapolis which took us up to the city of Plymouth a beautiful town I spent pretty much all of my formative years there uh going to school through the Wyzetta school system and yeah that's that's basically where I'm from like those those that that's the uh, conflation between the two cities anyway
0: because <laughs> I was like going back and forth I'm like oh, what wait wait a minute Three different sides tell me where you were from. I'm like, which one's the place? I have no idea.
1: But that's <laughs> yeah, I'm, cool, sh- though. I'm sure. I'm sure a number. I'm sure a number of them say I'm from Dallas too, because that's where I currently reside after deciding to move here on my own. But see,
0: that's cool though. You know, so your dad was a broadcaster.
1: Yeah, yeah. He worked in the he worked in the radio business. Uh, started off at RKO back in the I want to say mid to late '70s. Uh, eventually. The children's broadcasting group brought him up to Minneapolis to uh, work on the station Radio Oz, where he oversaw a lot of its productions. Uh, I can't remember his exact job title. Uh, eventually, Radio Disney came in and just kind of crushed that competition, though, unfortunately. The, the mouse the mouse devours all.
0: <laughs> That's like an endless story. That's a fact. Ugh. But that also then leads to this, you know, because with what your dad did, were you— always been interested in doing stuff with your voice or did that just come along?
1: Uh it, It's hard to say because uh, I, I did do some radio spots as a child, uh, little little bit commercials for things like chocolatey frosted flakes are totally cool. And like lo- local uh, businesses and stuff like that that would advertise on the platform. Uh, so, It's, it would be silly to say that that didn't put a little bit of influence, but the biggest influence I think that was played on my childhood in toward, in terms of, uh, falling in love with the idea of voice acting was a little computer program, uh, called God, I think it was, what was it? Movie studio, 3d movie studio. Oh, uh, it's yeah, it's, it's like way back in the nineties, my first desktop ever, uh, I would play the hell out of that game, create my own little stories. And I had that that little piece of shit microphone that came attached, like, you know, the thing that was on, like, the little plastic stand that oh, was probably man. made out of, like, two copper fibers and uh, filaments in order to record a voice. Uh, made it sound – everything sounded like 16-bit bit, bit crunch. And <laughs> I, I'd create my own little stories on that. Uh, I think that's what really fueled my creative side as a, as a child that kind of eventually – blossomed into a uh, love for voice acting, which exploded when I was in high school. Uh, I got into the theater program at Wyzetta High School my sophomore year, and the second play I was ever in was the musical Little Shop of Horrors, in which I played the voice of Audrey II, the plant, uh, the primary antagonist of that uh, play. And it was the first time getting up on stage where I didn't have to go into makeup. I didn't have to do shit. I just got to stand backstage, hold on to a microphone, and wait for my cues. Like, I'd be sitting backstage uh, just just waiting on, like, okay, when when do I get to talk? Blah, blah, blah. Okay, that scene's happening. That scene's happening. Sitting there with my, like, my Nintendo DS playing uh, freaking, like, I think it was, no, it was a Game Boy Advance at the time, but I was playing, like, Supersonic Warriors. Just... Sitting oh, there man. waiting. Oh, like, you're bringing okay. it back. Oh, oh yes. absolutely. <laughs> and, and I'm just waiting on my cues. I'm like, okay, time to go. Feed Miss Seymour. <laughs> and I just, I loved it from there on. And I just kept going. Uh, eventually, I injured myself uh, playing rugby my senior year of high school. Kind of left me in a, in a pretty bad place. I broke my back. Wasn't able to do any of the sports and stuff that I liked doing. Uh, nor was I able to do any of the plays either any of the, uh, like, any physical activity. Uh, At which point I discovered, you know, one late night, not having anything to do, uh, Martin, Little Karibo, Bill and Yu-Gi-Oh!, the Abridged series, and I fell in love. Like, with just, like, the fact that somebody was able to slap all this together using the animation, and they just did it. And then I found uh, Moscow X's and Vegeta 3986's uh, Naruto the Abridged series, HBI 2K's, Berserker Bridge. And I'm like, holy shit, okay, I want to do this too. And I picked up my DVDs of Yu Yu Hakusho, ripped them to my computer, and I made uh, episode one of Yu Yu Hakusho Abridged like sometime within the next couple of days. And the rest is kind of history from there.
0: I want to just take a two steps back to when you said sure. you used yourself on rugby. Mm-hmm. Now, because it's like a domino effect, you know, to what led to what the future was gonna start to be, you know. So, in that moment where you were at that place, you were, you couldn't play sports and you couldn't even do theater anymore. So yeah, I could,
1: I couldn't go to prom. I couldn't do like oh, jack all. You prom
0: too. Oh, that was I that.
1: did. Not, not that I was incredibly popular with the ladies <laughs> in high school, but you know what? It's, it still sucks not to be able to go.
0: No, because it, it, you know, an injury like that, any other injury, you know, it stops you from enjoying the last bit of high school to have fun, it stinks, Mm -hmm. you know? So I can't imagine when that time where you were, because I'm guessing that you were just locked in your your room and just feeling around watching stuff.
1: Pretty much. Uh, I I needed the assistance of a cane to get around because, like, uh, after I broke my back, obviously I I needed, like, a little brace for a little while, but it also kind of ruptured slash herniated a disc in my lower back. So... Uh, even then, I was kind of moving around with extreme discomfort. Uh, I blacked out a number of times when I sneezed. Like it's it's uh, not not a fun time in my life. But but you're right in the fact that that moment, which looking back on it, in that exact moment, was probably some of like the darkest times I had been through in my personal journey, led to something so explosively transformational in my life that I can't imagine what would happen if I hadn't, and to the point that I'm actually very thankful that I broke my back in my senior year of high school at this point in my life.
0: So after you found their channels, and then you said, I'm gonna do Yu Yu Hakusho." why, mm-hmm. of, of all the animes, and granted, look, it ain't nothing wrong with Yu Yu Let, that, just let's just get that straight out there.
1: Dude, but come on, it's a, it's a fucking bomb ass
0: show. E- exactly, so I gotta know, bec- what made you pick that one of all the other animes?
1: I mean, pra- uh, practicality speaking, uh, it's because I actually owned the DVDs. <laughs> but uh, the reason I owned the DVDs is because it was easily my favorite shonen show. Like, like a lot of people, I got introduced to anime uh, by the concept of anime uh, through Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z. Right. And, you know, I, I love Dragon Ball Z. Hell, Dragon Ball Z has probably been one of the most influential shows on my entire life for obvious reasons. But Yu Yu Hakusho was different it, it was kind of the like the punk rock to dragon ball z's generic pop rock you know mm, and okay. i i i just loved it i loved the characters i loved tagashi's way of you know writing a compelling villain that is believable and somewhat relatable at the same time but also like incredibly threatening and i i, I absolutely love that show uh also when i later discovered it hunter hunter also really fucking good <laughs> so then with what you did with
0: it for with that abridged show mm-hmm. when did when did you decide that oh man like I actually like really enjoyed doing all of this to the point that you wanted to be at the level of the people that you were watching
1: well it, it started off like because back then I, I think I was one of the first three like a bridge shows to like really take off. It was uh, Yu-Gi-Oh, Naruto, Yu Yu Hakusho, and, and uh, people were like familiar with Berserk as well. It, it was kind of like those four floating around as to like what would be called like the, the first generation quote unquote of a bridging. Uh, so I, I was kind of like floating around that realm. I was never going to be as good at editing as Masako was. Uh, Masako you know, he was like throwing his like Photoshop skills in there. I'm like, I, I don't know. I just <laughs> I, I I I'm not using any like thing really special to edit this shit. I, I have like uh, a a video editor back then called Pinnacle Studio. It's it's basically baby's first movie maker. Uh, where you know it, it even has like a big flashing. If you want to record your own voiceover, click this button on the screen. So I I do that to record my voiceover over the clips. I just loop the clip so that the mouth would be flapping. Uh, that's that's pretty much everything I did because I had like little to no technical expertise when it came to editing back then, and uh, I, I threw this stuff together. The thing that people kind of glommed onto were the fact that I could like my voice sounded somewhat like Justin Cook's representation of Yusuke Urameshi, and I could do a pretty damn decent uh, Chris Sabat Kuwabara impression. So people were like, "Oh man, it's kind of like watching the dub." But kind of shitty, but it's pretty good. <laughs> That's and, and I'm like, you know what? I'll I'll take that because I, I I was just really psyched that people were enjoying it, and I kept going, and I made a lot of amazing friends just through that uh, abridging community that kind of developed around Martin.
0: And see, it's funny that you said that because that is actually how I saw your channel as well. You know, like all of us, you know, after school or after a game, I come home and I turn on YouTube and those were the abridged shows that I would watch. I think a lot from a lot of fans, like you just said, they loved how you resembled some of the characters. But then also, too, I think they were just lost in the world of what you put out there. You know, they actually felt like they were just watching. A fun show with a slice of nostalgia put into that, too.
1: But nostalgia nostalgia is a big part of why a bridge series blew up. Like it's in it's fact, fact, it's probably the it's part, a fact. but
0: yeah. But see, then, you know, and it's all thanks to, and if any of you guys don't know back in February, totally not Mark interview team four star about the history, the history of their channel. If you guys want to I think I was the, there for that. Yeah. If y'all <laughs> want to learn about the history of team four star, please follow him. But for you, what made you commit to even start something like that with them. Because you look know, in the end, they're strangers.
1: You know they they did they did start out as strangers. It, it, but then again, so does everybody. Right. Uh until you get to know them. I got to know Kaiser because when he started doing his loop on the third abridged, that shit was next level. Like his his level of editing was like he he would lip flap the characters. I'm just like, what? How do you how, how does he do that? What he took the time. To- no, stop it. You're making it harder. <laughs> and then there was uh, Taka, who at the time was working with a guy named uh, Cheese Man Joe. They formed uh, ITLIT Studios, which stands for I Don't Like Iced Tea, which is weird because if you've ever wow. been around Taka, he'll drink an iced tea. I, I don't understand the name of that wow. ever. But uh, he, uh, they started doing G Gundam Abridged, and Taka is one of the most social people I have ever met. Uh, I'm a bit of an introvert, maybe an ambivert. I don't know. But I'm not the kind of person that reaches out. Taka, however, will always go and talk to a bunch of people just to say like, hey, how are you doing? Hey, I like this that you did. I like that. He is a networking monster. And uh, he reached out to me eventually and we started chatting. He'd pull me into these late night Skype calls with a bunch of other abridgers in the community. Uh, like, is like it, it basically exploded after a point. Like it, it was probably around the time, like just before Google acquired YouTube, like around then, like sometime in 2008.
0: Oh
1: man. And, uh, Oh yeah. It's, it's been a hot minute. <laughs> and, uh, I, I had reached out. The one person I did reach out to was Kaiser after the Lupon videos. And I'm like, Holy shit. What you've done is insane. And, uh, he fanboyed out a little bit because he was kind of inspired by the shit I was doing. I'm like, no, don't be inspired by me. He's like, well, I'm gonna do better. I'm like, you're already doing better. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so he, Taka, and I would eventually be kind of like a core three that would end up talking to each other a lot at night. And uh eventually one night there came a lull in our conversation. And uh Taka just kind of like leaned over to Kai's and he was like, or he kind of like whispered to Kai's like, Dude, why don't you why don't you ask him? And Kaiser's like, well, I, I don't think that's the right time, dude. Just ask him. Well, I I, I, don't, I don't really want to, so I'm just like, ask me what. And Kaiser stammered out, I know that you, Vegeta, and Masako are currently working on the Dragon Ball Z movies in an abridged format because we were like, you know, Vegeta, Masako, and myself, we were also pretty tight. Uh, we had been working on the. Uh, abridged movies. I think we made two of them under the label Neighborhood Cluck Productions. I, I don't know if anybody can find them anymore. That was the name. Some of the, I don't remember that name it, at all. It was a hot, Like, this is back in 2008. So, uh, odds are, it has been completely scrubbed from the internet. I know they aren't on my channel anymore. So, they, if there's an archive out there that exists, they're awful. I edited them. So, I'm sorry. And... <laughs> a couple of jokes here and there that i'm still kind of proud of but it's not good uh so kaiser asked you know we were thinking maybe doing dragon ball z as a group would you be interested so i sat there i'm like kaiser with your level of editing and the fact that you love dragon ball and kaiser loves dragon ball like he is a dragon ball boy he i have learned more about dragon ball by osmosis from listening to him than i possibly could by just scrubbing the wikis dang like i That's like a i will just wow. yeah i will destroy at dragon ball trivia night just because i have talked to him enough basically and so i said to them okay i'm i'm super down for this but i have two conditions i get to be on the writing team and i get to play vegeta Because I hadn't gotten a chance to in the little abridged movies yet. And I was really proud of my Vegeta impression. (laughs) Plus, at that point in time, I had enough, like, you know, internet clout. Being the guy amongst the three of us that had the most subscribers. So, my e was the biggest. That I could actually make these kinds of demands. Let me go. Yeah, basically. That's kind of how it happened. With
0: that, and with the evolution of the channel. You you did the movies, right? Started with the movies. Mm -hmm. And then... You guys just started to do the episodes, right?
1: Yep. Kaiser, uh that that's when Team Four Star formed. Team Four Star started doing the episodes.
0: So when for you, because like I said before 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 that, you said that you know everyone's a stranger before we meet up and they become friends. So when then did you feel hundred percent comfortable to be like, you know what? Yeah, we can do this. We can definitely, definitely fully do this.
1: I think by the time that I had agreed to, you know, work on DBZ Abridged, I, I had already pretty much considered them friends. But over the years that followed, you know, working week in, with that, uh, week, in week out with each other, chatting, like, far into the dark and sometimes the uh, lights of the early morning, uh, we, we kind of grew to become brothers, basically. Like, those guys, I could not have been prouder to have had them, you know, standing up beside me as I was getting married. Like they, they are as much a brother to me as my own, you know, brother by blood that I was raised with. By this point,
0: that's deep. That that that's that's love right there. That, wow, I like that, man. Yeah, and that, that tells I mean, you a lot what you think about them.
1: No, I, I genuinely love those dudes.
0: And with that, the evolution. Of what you what you guys were doing, because as the doc showed, it exploded off something that I don't think you guys thought it would be that popular.
1: Still- nobody can and nobody can ever expect something like that. I mean, we are just like a bunch of nerds making a bunch of comedy dubs on the internet. We didn't expect it to come anywhere near to exploding the way it did. Uh, it's it, it's kind of hard to believe because we would joke a lot in the early days about huh? what what if we get invited out to conventions and stuff like that because we're just a bunch of little weeby nerds and then eventually we actually get invited out to a convention like they were gonna fly us out there they were gonna pay for our rooms pay for our food and we're just like what really? like feeling almost kind of guilty about this like what? huh? and the fact that people actually turned out to like come and meet us at these things blew our goddamn minds like we we had lines lines waiting to get into a room to listen to us talk
0: now that that's a that is something that again not a lot of people will ever experience and for you guys who were legit fans you're nerds but also fans of what you're doing and the fans of the show as a whole and now you're doing when well, you did something you're doing for fun yeah but you, but the rewards is reaping in from the success of what you guys are doing like that's a lot to take in like like how how were you even able to take that from when when it was coming at you
1: it it was definitely a process i still remember our first convention yomacon 2009 Uh, at that time i was literally the only person on our team with any form of stage experience like you know being in front of a live crowd we've all talked behind a microphone uh, out into the void of the internet but looking out and seeing actual people staring back at you is different very very different like it, it is a whole other vibe so uh for a lot of the people up there it was a huge adjustment period uh so i kind of took it on myself for like the first couple of conventions we went to the first couple of panels that we ran to just ease everybody into it and kind of mc them you know just make sure there's a flow going, make sure everybody's feeling all right. Because uh, at the time, I was the only one that had any experience. But to watch as everybody kind of got more used to the crowd, more used to, you know, cracking wise back to people that are asking questions. Uh, it's it's like any sort of muscle. The more you work at it, the stronger it gets. Like Like when you're trying to build any form of habit – uh, the, the more you participate in the activity, the easier and more natural it becomes and seems. So uh, a- as this went on, we all started started kind of getting back to the same level there. And it's never something you can be immediately prepared for. But it is something that you can get better at as you go.
0: And do you feel like that's what happened with you guys with the more times they invited you to places? That you guys just felt like in your zone, and you guys just fully got comfortable on what you were doing.
1: Definitely, because when we were first starting to get invited out, uh, started getting invited out to conventions, we were really kind of nervous. Like we weren't really sure, you know, what like sort of value we were actually bringing to these cons. But as we got there, and as we started seeing these lines of people showing up to like listen to some jerk offs that made a fan dub of a twenty-some year old cartoon at that point. Uh, we started to realize exactly what we were pulling, and we started to get, like, more confident, not only with, you know, the the crowds that were showing up, but with the conventions that were asking us to show up. You know, like, there were there were times early on where they'd pack us, uh, however many of us they'd bring. Usually it'd be Kaiser Taka and myself, maybe one or two other people. Uh, there were a few conventions early on that would, you know, try to pack us all into one room, maybe get us a, an extra futon for the other people to sleep on. But then we were like, you know what? No. I, I think each of us kind of deserves our own space. We we provide a value to you guys. We kind of deserve value in return, et cetera, et cetera. We started feeling more confident in ourselves, what we brought to these places. And uh it, it's yeah, like like anything, it's a process. Like, you know, you kinda grow, you learn more as you do.
0: That in right there, that says a lot. That you guys knew your worth. You know, you knew what you brought to the table. And then you you fully say, hey, look, if we bring this much, we deserve this, This we deserve boom this. And yeah. not a lot of people do that because, again, the fear of saying that, well, we don't want to step on anybody's toes. But then the double-edged sword is like, but look what, what we're bringing in. And it's not being selfish. That's just being truth. I speak with Nick Landis. My name is Ronald Smith. And this, I can imagine the journey of, what you guys started this thing as and then what it was growing to be but on the outside how how was your family taking all this because like anything on the internet you know you need some other things to keep you going you know
1: mm.
0: nothing nothing in life is cheap nothing is free so what were you able to do for yourself to keep you afloat during all this and also what were your families thinking about you in this new path that you were taking
1: Uh, Early on, uh, when we first started Team Four Star, I was was still going to college down in Minneapolis. uh, You know, just kind of working on this stuff in the evenings, part-time, because we didn't draw a dime from, you know, DBZA. Right. And uh, so it's basically a, a big, big glorified hobby at that point. It wasn't until we started doing some of the gameplay videos and making some of the shirts that we even started seeing, like, a little bit of income coming in. Uh, but that wouldn't be for like a few years after that. My family has always been very supportive of my creative side. You know, as long as I'm as long as I'm happy in life and as long as I'm, you know, able to take care of myself and able to move forward, uh, they're 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 pretty happy about what is going on. Uh, it wasn't until I dropped out of college after, you know, coming to terms with the fact that, OK, I'm I'm kind of already in a position in my quote unquote career where you know the, the stuff that i'm going to college for which at the time was basically film production or theater i don't think a piece of paper is going to help me more at this point than the actual experience i'm getting kind of working in the field that i'm going for so i dropped out to you know Save money because, you know, you're college blowing. Ain't, college ain't yeah, you're. Oof. Yeah, it ain't. You're blowing money every year on those four year universities. Uh, my mom started getting worried about that. Uh, I, I kind of placated her by going to a technical college afterwards where I actually learned significantly more uh that would help me in the field I was in than in the four year college I was going to. I cannot stress enough. That if you have some skills that you're looking to polish up, a technical school is way better for you. Because I learned how to edit in there. I learned how to audio engineer there. I learned how to work a uh, basically an entire camera like studio setup. I learned so much from my technical college that uh, I, I was able to just kind of like move on my own. And uh, for a while, I produced some videos on Blip. You know, oh, just God. kind of reviewing anime and stuff like that back when that was a thing, and uh, started making a, like a little bit of money here and there. Started dabbling in let's plays, and all this while, because eventually I dropped out of the technical school too because I'm not a good student. Because I'm trying to focus more on what I see is my future. My mom starts getting kind of upset, like you know, you're you're not, you know, you're not going anywhere. You're not you're not doing the things that you should be doing to get ahead in life. And uh, at the time I was currently managing at like a men's warehouse. Yeah, I was a pretty good salesman. If you're if you're decent at acting, you can be pretty damn good at salesmanship. I, I think that's a good trade off there. I, I was a manager at a men's warehouse for a few years when I decided, you know, we were we started to make enough money from the let's plays and stuff, all, all the tertiary and secondary Stuff that we were making that was supported by, you know, DBZA being so beloved by so many people that I was able to quit that job, too. And that is when my mom started to kind of like freak out, like, you can't do that. You can't just quit your job. You can't you can't do that. It wasn't until she saw my tax returns for that year when I had earned more than her, my brother and my father. That she was like, oh, never mind then. Because I, I don't think she realized the kind of money that can be made in YouTube. Uh, if you find your niche and you find, like, a community that's as awesome as the one that kind of grew around us, which I, I have no idea how we fostered that, but God damn it, do I feel like one of the most blessed sons of bitches on earth that are, like, so supportive and amazing and will literally wait in line for an hour to see you at a convention. It's, like, there there is there is, you know, resources that can be tapped there by making like just few a few videos a week on a gaming channel even.
0: But I think also, you know, I think your mother had the react has the reaction of like a lot of parents would, mm. you know, cuz like you said, to this day I don't think parents still understand about YouTube or just about how the internet works, about people who find a life in a career off it. So cuz a lot of them are still in the old school way of saying that you need to work these jobs to make a living. You need to do this, that, and the third.
1: Yeah, you life. need that you need that 9 to 5.
0: Right. So but you took a lot to yourself cuz I can imagine if at any point during that like did you ever feel like maybe maybe she's right? Like maybe I got I should stay more committed. But you looked that you kept you kept saying no. I know I can do this.
1: I've always been fairly pragmatic about, you know, well, what what the risk versus reward is. And when I decided to finally like quit my job at Men's Warehouse, I knew it was because I was going to be moving down to Dallas to start this company proper with uh, Kaiser and some of my other friends down here. And uh, I-, I knew we'd be we'd kind of have to like you know tighten the old belt straps for a couple of months while we got things up and running, got things set up, and made sure that we uh, kept pumping stuff out in order to fuel that. And yeah, it, it was like you know. Sometimes you're going month to month on pay, like paycheck to paycheck, and every year when tax season rolls around, anybody who is self-employed knows the pain of not having saved up enough in a savings account to pay off your income tax for that year. Never either. And so oh. there there have been a couple of times where it's just been like, oh god. <laughs> oh. I know the feeling. <laughs> I knew that worst case scenario. If this fell flat if if it didn't work out, if I couldn't do this full time, I could still go out and get a job selling shit like that's that, that's always something that I've I felt comfortable that I'm able to do should everything just kind of fall away I I have these other skills that I know I can fall back on luckily I uh, I was able to you know build those up over years. I still have references that I can tap into but I lose nothing by trying. And that's kind of important, especially if it's where your passion lies. There's a phrase in Japanese called ikigai, which is the combination of something that you're passionate about, something that you're good at, something that can make you money, something that people need. People need entertainment. I feel like I'm a pretty entertaining person at times. You know, I I can point to some examples, I guess. Uh... I feel like I'm good at it. And there's money there. So, uh, and and of course, it's something that I love to do. So I I feel like what I've stumbled into is my Ikigai. Ikigai. And I think, yeah, and I think that's something that's, uh, I think is important for everybody to try to strive for in their life. Even if you have to support yourself doing something else for a while, because... I would not trade what I've been doing, what I've been able to do for anything. It has led to, like, so much growth, so much happiness, so many fond memories, some sad memories, but, you know, you, you, take, the, you take the good with the bad with everything. Uh, if there was an English translation, I think it would be vocation.
0: What you said is very... And anyone who's listening to this, you know, I think you can... can... Take a lot from that, you know, because I think a lot of people are also dealing with, you know, finding what to what to keep them d- driven and to drive them to continue to do something that they're passionate about, but also com- you know conflicted about. Well, I'm, I'm not making anything out of it, so why should I? Sh- sh- why should I keep doing it?
1: It's a hard question you got to ask yourself when you're like, and, and the and the point of that is actually that something that a lot of people aren't like able to be comfortable with is the fact that it's okay to fail at something that you want to succeed in very true and it's never truly a failure until you just stop trying
0: that's very true man that's very very true but i want to take what you just said right there you know because that kind of goes into what to this this part right here because something that you and your team did t4 star And look, it was a huge thing to say and to put out there knowing what a reaction could it be. When you Mm -hmm. guys said that episode, the last episode of Team Four Star was going to just be after the Cell Saga and the fight between Gohan and Cell. That was it. Yeah. And at the time, because after the episode you guys put out that there will be the next season, the Boo Saga. And it kind of get played out of like hints, not hints, but like just, yes, it's coming. Yes, it's coming. The BoJack will be there too but then finally you just put you guys put your foot down and said we're done knowing that the majority of people who are subscribed to the channels is for dbz abridged
1: yeah it was a very hard decision to make and one that we had honestly been struggling with since we started writing episode 60 because there there was a there was a part of us even then that thought You know, this should be the end. Like when we wrote out Goku's speech about, you know, things are going to change. I don't really want to come back yet. That was very much us talking to the audience. And it it was a very, like, very late edition uh, that we have since removed that to be continued in season four. Uh, We we cut that from the uh, video using the YouTube editor. We regret that heavily because at the time we we did intend to keep going forward and it wasn't until we started working on uh the bojack script after we had finished the kaya bridge scripts for you know the cell saga and android saga right that we realized exactly how burnt out we were and how much of a fitting ending we actually believed the uh episode 60 to have been and more burned out than any of us was Kaiser. Mm-hmm. And if Kaiser is burned out and does not want to, like, and and is going to, like, you know, not put his all into DBZA, it's not going to be the same. And when you combine that with a lot of external factors, like, uh, th- there was a big thing going on around Twitter lately about how uh, people in, like, the fan-dubbing worlds aren't looked at and respected the same way that people who have, you know, like pulled themselves up by the bootstraps and marched in line to get into the profession the way they're quote unquote supposed to. And a lot of the people we worked with were starting to get affected by that in terms of the kind of work they were able to get and like the type of stuff that they were being turned down for. And we didn't want to put that sort of pressure on them. Because, you know, I I know, that, I know that there are a number of studios that I will never work with because I've taken the direction that I've taken. But I've also been given a lot of opportunities because of the direction I've taken. But I'm not the one that's being affected. The, the people who we hire to work on these shows are. And so we started having people that are like, I don't feel comfortable doing this. I don't think I can be in this anymore. And all of a sudden, like, even if we really wanted to work on DBZA uh, season four, it would be a very different production just because of the amount, like just because of some of the people that we wouldn't be able to bring in. And that, that was really like a, a more recent nail in that coffin. One that had been ongoing, but it is, it is nothing but cemented the fact that we, we had to make that call. And we knew that people were going to be unhappy about that. We're still feeling the aftershocks of that. There are people that are unwilling to give our current videos a chance. And you know what? That's their decision. They feel hurt by you know being led on by us. And they should. They absolutely should. We We did a terrible job at messaging in what we were doing, what we were thinking, and what we were planning. When in the years prior, we had been very open and honest with everybody and while we were trying to be open to st- open and honest with everybody uh in you know letting people know that this is done this is why it was kind of a too little too late kind of thing and now it kind of feels like we're in a bit of a damage control mode because i i don't know we we we've genuinely hurt a lot of people uh you know so, some some Probably a little more hurt than they should be, but that's not for me to say.
0: <laughs> but I can imagine for you, at because I know also to you guys have also dealt with YouTube as a whole. You know how many yes. times your channel has been shut down, and you guys are that trying to build up other things to keep you guys afloat, as you said before. But mm-hmm. what you said too, because you did, you knew the consequences, mm-hmm. and you said you're still, you guys are still being affected by it. Yep. A- and with the process of trying to rebuild the relationship of the people that were hurt by it, do you then also cause feel of the time where you guys were trying to fight through those burnouts, those times where you guys were like, I don't want to do this anymore?
1: Yeah, there, there were a number of real burnout periods for us. Uh, there, there was a time where we thought about, ending DBZA uh, after Goku went Super Saiyan, after the Frieza saga. Right. Uh, like, that was the first big decision because we were, like, thinking about, you know, trying to put some of our money together and making, like, a pilot to kind of, like, pitch out there to, like, networks and things like that. Uh, not that we had, like, any connections that, or any know-how of how to do that at the time, but it, it was a pipe dream that we had, like, trying to focus on other things because even back then, back in, I think that was, like, two. 2011 or so it it was a hot minute ago (laughs) that uh we knew that the idea of abridging dragon ball was always going to be finite uh eventually the copyright system was going to become so opaque that there was no way we'd be able to get around it which as time has gone on, it, it has, in fact, gotten harder and harder to repeal anything, which, uh, at, at the moment, we're very lucky that our videos, like, every single one of them had already been pulled and processed and then uh, r- basically re uh, reinstated by the old system that they can't be affected by the new one. Wow. We got very lucky that we were able to work with that old system rather than the system that is currently in place, which is way harder to get through.
0: Oh. It, it's a uh, annoyance to a T.
1: Yeah. So, like, if we were starting DBZA now, we would never have made it. Like, to we would never have made it to 2030. Let's put it that way. Uh, so, there was the uh, burnout of fighting that system, combined with the idea that you know we we have so many like other things that we want to work on that we want to lend our writing towards. The uh, things that we can say, like this is ours. We did this. Nobody else has a hand in it. And right. you know, some of that is, you know, kind of folly. We know that DBZ as a property uh, is, you know, so popular, so well remembered that it no doubt played a part in DBZA going over and having people love it. Like we said, nostalgia is the biggest part of abridging. Right. But we still wanted to be able to try and right now we we're kind of forced into that position where we're playing around with a lot of new things and uh that's that's kind of just where we have to be right now and
0: i think so with some of the fans i think they'll they they got it eventually while others i think just will never get and that's just you can't please everybody but yeah you and your friends said you looked at not only your employees but also your friends' future lives, and you were like, "We know how the business is, and it's sad that they put down the stuff that we do." But we don't want we don't want to be the reason that you guys can't continue to grow in your life. And you said, "All right, let's let's do it. Let's say that we're done with this."
1: Yeah, we agonized a lot over that decision because we we knew that DBZA was that keystone thing that we kind of like built the. rest of the building around removing that uh everything kind of starts to topple and fall but but we felt confident in our ability to do so and then covid hit and (laughs) that really shot a lot of things back
0: now just with that because look it's affected everybody Mm -hmm. everybody's plans everyone's situations was completely wrecked with what's been going on so what have you guys been dealing with covid
1: uh, we haven't been able to get back into our studio because nobody like feels safe about being in a group for so long. Uh, we don't have the means by which that we can uh, actually perform the jobs that we want to do in a close proximity to each other, but still uh, adhere to the local rules for doing so. So we've had to do pretty much everything remotely, which has made doing let's plays together basically impossible. All the gaming stuff that we were able to do when we were in close proximity is very difficult to do uh because now it has to be like, okay, somebody like we we all basically have to be streaming it, like together. And that's that's a completely different feel from what we usually had. So everything all at once kind of changed. Furthermore, the biggest thing it disrupted for us was the production of uh the little live action series that we were working on that was so Goddamn fun to produce, unabridged. Uh, We were two episodes, like two filmed episodes away from having our first season done, and then it hit, and then we couldn't get in there to film, and it's just a really shitty situation to be in, especially uh, when, you know, like, it, it, you know, when it rains, it pours. Right. Just ending DBZA, and then all this hits at once, it's like, well, shit, what... What now? <laughs> so we've st- we're still kind of scrambling to figure out what now.
0: My name is Ronald E. Smith. I'm speaking with Nick Landis, and that's a lot. You know, that mm-hmm. is a lot just to take in in less than a short amount of time. And I can imagine the stress that you guys are putting yourselves in, especially the risks you guys have put in for yourself. But for you, fully, how have you taken all this? Like, how have you been able to keep yourself uplifting? and able to, to keep yourself moving.
1: It's funny that you use the phrases uplifting and moving because uh, all while this was going on, uh, personal life-wise, uh, I've been, uh, bas- I, I basically uh, separated from my wife of five years. And so, you know, in the phrase, it rain when it rains, it pours. Now, I, now I'm tackling like all this emotional stuff. Like I, I was basically just kind of a shell for a hot minute for like because, uh, you know, we decided to call it off near the uh, actually about a year ago now uh, is, you know, when all that started to hit in. So I had been processing it. And then finally, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of getting a step back up. I just went out to California to have like done a little bit of work out there. I come back. Boom! Lockdown, COVID. Everybody gets separated. You're not allowed to see people now. Ugh. So I'm just like sitting here, just like, well, shit. Now, <laughs> now I, now I'm, and now now I'm alone and doing this. So that's fun. Um, so it, literally everything in my life changed all in the course of about eight months, and uh, I've been. I, I'm obviously in a better place right now than I was about a year ago and even like, you know, five months ago when all this started. But it's it's led to basically me just kind of like sitting back and focusing, okay, what am I doing? What can I do? What do I want to do? Where do I want to go from here? Uh, it's led through a very long, insightful, like kind of meditative process for me uh, where I came out the other side just wanting to be more hands-on with everything at tfs again because for for a hot minute we'd been uh i'd been fairly hands-off uh while i've been dealing with so much of this stuff and now i'm like focusing back in thinking like okay so other than the dragon shorts which we can still produce other than the little animated things other than the you know uh, abridged anime in some uh, some some minutes what can we be doing and i've been pouring a majority of my time into essentially creating a tabletop rpg that we can use for our next tabletop campaign because that's something i just have a passion for
0: you know first of all you know it takes a lot to just fully just let it all out about the things that personally that we were affected by you know what i mean because look we, we all are dealing with something but to talk about that you know that it says a lot about you but something that you said back in 2018 I think also sums up too about people who are also still dealing with things especially with this year a lot when you back then you brought up about bubble Hmm. I, I I think that st- that phrase you were using because you were just talking about your growth your journey with it and also too when you also talked about your journey through weight loss yeah and again, both are connected with each other to what is going on today, because we are only in control of what is in front of us, you know, everything else is just out of our control.
1: Yeah, we, we all have our sphere of influence. Uh, some people have like a slightly larger sphere than others that like, you know, you can, you can like throw a message out there, more people will kind of glom onto it. But ultimately, the only thing you ever have direct control over are your own actions. Uh, you know, should there not be something medically wrong with you? Cause then, you know, seek help immediately, please. Right. Uh, ultimately we, we all have control over how we process things, the choices that we make. Those are the things that truly matter. And those are the only things that we can do to better our situation, uh, to go into it a little more, uh, explain bubble a little bit cause you brought it up. Uh, it, it's kind of a, a personal mantra of mine bubble stands for better you better life. Uh, which is just the idea that no matter where you are in life, you know, whether you're already kind of like way up high, like you're feeling great or whether you're at your rock bottom, there's always choices and decisions that you can make that can affect your life in a positive way. And the idea is to, you know, strive to become the ideal you it's, 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 the, it's the self-improvement hustle that I've lived by for a few months. And it, it definitely, definitely uh, came in as a big test over the last year through all the stuff that I had been processing. Basically, all of that was the ultimate test of what I was playing through there, like what I was trying to go through or what I was trying to go for.
0: So right now then, where does Nick hope to see himself down the road in five years, ten years like with everything that has happened and what's happening right now and through the evolution of the world is changing, what do you hope to achieve and gain for yourself?
1: Five years, ten years uh, I'll, I'll be I'll be honest uh, in the in the entire restructuring that the uh, that my life goals have taken over the past year th- that vision was very very hazy for me and it's still a little hazy. But I've been able to, you know, try to pick up pieces and put together where I'd like to be. Uh, within within ten years, I'd like to have a family. You know, I've I've definitely got to put myself back out there. But I I realized that one of the reasons that I've been going through this self improvement journey in my young adulthood is that I want to be able to pass on my knowledge in some way, shape, or form, and I want to be a, a father. I want to be a good dad. Uh, career-wise, right now I'm still trying to like figure out where where Team Forestar is as a group. But personally, I'm trying to focus more and more on you know trying to get more into like live action acting, which is a insanely competitive field. But it's a passion of mine. And as I was saying earlier, you lose nothing by trying. Exactly. So it's it's something that I'm currently uh, striving for. It's, it's one of the reasons that I've been trying to build myself and work out as much and lose as much weight as I have because that requires a certain level of physicality. And unfortunately, in the climate that we live in, it does require a certain look, which uh, as, as a person, I've never really had. Uh, at my worst, I think I was at like about 300 pounds. Right now, I'm floating at about 210. So I'm...
0: Dang. Come on, man. That that
1: is the i about. That's a that's. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about it. i feel pretty <laughs> good about it, S- especially considering. Uh, 13 years ago, I was essentially chair bound after breaking my back. So yeah, very long journey there. Uh, so I'm, I'm am still striving towards that. I'm thinking that at some point in the next five years, I'm going to be commuting between here and California to try to pursue that more and more. That's that's where I'm at. And somewhere between that one year and 10 year mark, I I don't think that love is something that should ever be given up on. If you don't believe in love, then I don't think there's really a point, you know. Well, uh, my wife and I uh, are separating and going through this process, there's no animosity there we realized that we were in a situation that was fairly codependent and unhealthy for the both of us. We both had very different directions that we wanted to go. And while it's been a hard process, it's been a fairly healthy one. And I still care about her. I still love her. But it just can't be the way it was. And I'll always care about her. And I still want to be her friend. But I need to be open to the possibility of others and that's something i that's something i also need to push for like you that's where before. i'm at but yeah. like you
0: said before the scariest thing is, is to put ourselves out there you know like mm-hmm. all of us deal with that i know i, I can re- i can relate to you so much man. But but-
1: nothing nothing in this world <laughs> is is a is that like nothing is as vulnerable as that feeling of exposing your heart to somebody else yes Oh, because so like uh you, you want to guard it you want to guard it so hard but if you do that you're never going to be able to f- like feel the other side you know
0: and it takes what it takes the first step to do it
1: you won't know until you do it takes the first it. step and while while the pain of rejection is certainly a sore one it is a pain that is worth bearing in order to try. You lose nothing by trying, 100%. except a little bit of discomfort in the short term.
0: That's the truth. My name is Ronald E. Smith. I've been having a fantastic conversation with Nick Landis. And Nick, before we cast off from each other, and I just want to again thank you for this talk, this has been a very, very motivational, but also uplifting conversation with
1: each other. Absolutely, man. I've, I've been loving it, hell. Like, this, this is great. You're you're doing awesome, by the way.
0: Thank you, like, brother. You've
1: some, like, really good questions, and I, I've I've just been having a great time just talking your ear off. <laughs> Thank you, brother. I appreciate this so much.
0: But just before we go, we go. if you want to look, because I believe, and please correct me if I'm wrong, 12 years ago, for 12 years, you guys were going with Team Four Star, right? Mm-hmm. And 13 years ago, you dealt with your injury.
1: Yep, yeah, about uh, about thirteen years and six months, I believe, was when I first broke my back.
0: Now, just with those two, from everything with that Team Four Stars been, and how you've came through that one point when you said it was a dark period in your time. Fast forward to now, and even with when you guys had to stop with Team Four Stars, uh, DVD Bridge. Looking back, all this as a whole, do you have any regrets?
1: Oh, dozens. Mm-hmm. I mean, who doesn't, right? Yeah, there, there are decisions that I've made, uh, social media posts that I've made that have like really hurt the feelings of some people in some pretty high places that I didn't realize. You know, like, they, 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 you know, I, I meant as a joke, but yeah, yeah. Then there are like business decisions that I've made that didn't pan out. Uh, there are choices that I made in my personal life that haven't panned out. But it's those lessons and those. Failures that make us who we are. We don't grow as people if we don't fuck up every now and again. It's the scars that make the muscle grow stronger.
0: Ooh, that's a good one. I like that one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So there, there are plenty of things I regret. Plenty of things that, like you know, late at night you're laying down. Oh God, I did do that. We (laughs) all have those. We all have those, and those will never go away. But that's the human condition, and that's something you got to accept. You can't change what has happened you can only learn from what has happened and decide to do from what you have now
0: and as of now what can nick landis say to himself to the person that was depressed and injured and not knowing what he wanted to do at the time
1: don't sign up for twitter jack (laughs) 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 uh if, if I could, like, write a letter to myself sitting in the darkness of that room uh, thinking about ending it all, I don't think I'd write a damn thing. Because if I did, I, I would not have discovered all of the amazing things. I wouldn't want to spoil it. I wouldn't want to spoil the journey ahead. Sure, I'd love to reassure myself, but everything that I am now Came from that boiling pot of depression and emotion that happened back then. And if there's one thing I hate more than anything else, as as a as a pet peeve, it's spoilers. So if I were to say anything, I'd say, have fun. And then I'd look at it back then and I'd think I'm a cynical asshole. And I'd say, fuck you. <laughs>
0: I love that man and this is what we always do at the end is the shadow time when we give love and appreciation to people who have lifted us lifted us up and have been by our side when we couldn't walk any further so oh, I like that the floor is yours go on do it
1: uh, of course, of all the people that have supported me, I gotta say I love my mama, I love my uh, brother. They they're both still up there in Plymouth. Love my dad for providing all of the stuff that uh, really got me into loving all of this. Uh, like I, I would not be doing what I'm doing if it weren't for the influence that my dad had on my younger life. And uh, obviously, Taka, Kaiser, those guys are my brothers. Absolutely amazing. Uh, my ex, Erica, she is probably the greatest lesson I've ever had in life. Uh, I I care for her deeply. I still love her, and I wish her the best. Uh, one of my uh, my my friend, Caitlin, who I'll I'll shout out because she's starting like she's starting on that Twitch stream and she's trying to get out there. Uh, Boobs McBallrog, Caitlin, you're you're amazing. You've been insanely supportive over this. Uh, very trying time for me. Love her dearly as well. Uh, of course, I want to thank you, Ron, for bringing me on here. Like, this has been an awesome conversation. So, big shout out to you as well. Thank you, brother. And to everybody out there who has ever let my voice into their ears voluntarily. And for those that have come back for more after it got forced upon you. I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) Thank you, everybody out there for the immense support, the amazing community, anybody that's out there that, you know, comes comes on our streams, goes to our videos, that supports us in any way, shape, or form. Thank you all so much, because this journey would never have been possible without each and every one of you.
0: And that is 100% the truth. My name is Ronald E. Smith. This is Nick Landis, a.k.a. Lanny Boutour. And y'all, I think we just got real. Thank you very much. Like, share, and subscribe. And I'll see you.